So we're going to pick up tonight in the series on faith and prayer in 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1. And last week we left off discussing the fact of the concept of underestimating Jesus, underestimating him. And we are new creations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a what? New creation. Looks, you're going to have to talk to me tonight a little bit, all right? He is a what? New creation. New creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we've been talking about how that Jesus is the Lord of this new creation. Now, you are a new creation. But in order for you to experience this new creation, you're going to have to do some things. And one of the things you're going to have to do is use this authority that Jesus has given us in your life to make sure that you're not just accepting anything, but that you are making a demand on the Word of God, that doing what God said he would do, and so that you can actually live it out in your life. So that's why prayer is based upon the Word of God. Why? Because the word of God is absolute. Say that. Say the word of God, word of God is, absolute. is absolute. And it is the truth. I mean, it is the truth. And this is why prayer time is not, prayer is not based in emotion. It is not based on emotion or the theories of men, but it's based upon the living word of God. Upon the living word of God. Of God. You can't trust emotions. You can't go by emotions. And how many all know we have learned you cannot trust the theories of man because they are wrong and they are corrected all the time. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, the King James Version says this being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. How long does it live and abide? Forever. forever. The NIV puts it this way. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Not a perishable what? Seed. seed. Now notice there, what does, the, what does the word of God call itself? It calls itself a what? A seed. A seed. That's interesting, isn't it? Because a seed is not the finished product, is it? A seed has to grow, right? And in our lives, we have the seed. There is the parable of the, uh, the sower, which Jesus said, if you don't understand that parable, you won't understand how the kingdom of God operates. And it talks about, in that parable, in different people's lives, for a variety of reasons, why the seed of the word of God grows and why the seed of the word of God does not grow in some people's lives. But see, this book right here is a seed in your life. It's a seed in your heart. So you got to work that seed. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to work that seed. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And I got news for the world. The word of God ain't going anywhere. <laughs> I don't care what you try to throw up there the word of God's gonna outlive you, amen? So when, what you know in your heart, 
when you know in your heart that you are what he says you are, right, okay, God says it, you believe it, and then you act in the face of all, you act on it in the face of all, you confess what he has done in you, confessing what he has made you, and what does that do? That in turn glorifies him, and it glorifies his work. So to deny what we are, to tell what Satan is doing in our bodies and minds is denying what we are in Christ. So if you have a habit of just blurting out the way you feel, you need to work on that. Tell your neighbor, say, you need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, well, I just get everybody a piece of my mind. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. That is the problem. So you, gotta, you have to work on that with the dominion and the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. You have to work on it. You've gotta do something. You gotta put some effort in, right? You, if, you have, if you have the, uh, you know, the habit of getting very fearful very easy, then you need to what? Work on it. You need to start taking dominion over that. Well, how do I take dominion of that? Well, whenever you start feeling anxiety, you what? You confess the word. Or when you start feeling anxiety, you just start worshiping the Lord. Or when you start feeling anxiety, what Smith Wigglesworth used to do whenever he would get in a situation like that, he'd just start saying the name Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And not sarcastically or with bad words around it, but the real deal, right? Truly from his heart, Jesus, Jesus. Right, because what would that do? That would get his mind focused back on who he serves. So see, but you have, are you a new creation? Yes, will you be any more of a new creation tomorrow than you are today? No, but what you experience in the new creation should be more tomorrow than it is today. Because part of what life is, is life is learning how to trust God and life is learning how to exercise the authority that God has given us. And so we are still here. We're born again. We're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. No matter what Arnold Schwarzenegger says, we're going to heaven. <laughs> Amen. And not only that, not only are we going to heaven, but we're still here. So why are we still here? We are here to exercise the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes... In Mark 9, 23, he meant it. So your neighbor say, he means it. He meant that all things are possible to the believer. All the believer's needs to do, all the believer needs to do is to get to know what he is in Christ, then rise up and take his place. All you and I have to do, which I say that for some reason we have a hard time doing, people have a hard time doing this, but all we have to is stand with the word. Stand with the word. Stand with the word. Stand with the word. See, we are called to be masters in this life. I said we are called to be masters in this life. Amen. Now, if we could only see that, then we could start acting like it. If you would only understand that, then you would start acting like that. Now, I know religion tells you not to do that. I know other people might come along and tell you, who do you think you are? Well, let me tell you who I think I am because God told me who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the healed of the Lord. I am, I have all my needs met. 
I, I have the wisdom of God. I have the Holy Spirit of God who leads me and directs me and guides me. This is who I am. Now, am I saying, did, did, I mean, can I find that all in the Word of God? Absolutely. I'm not making something up. I'm not telling you about some crazy vision that I had that doesn't line up with the Word of God. I'm telling you from the Word of God what he has said I am, right? Well, if that's the truth, then why are most Christians not experiencing it in their lives? Because they have yet to take authority in their own lives when it comes to these type things. Now, I mean, I could show you scripture after scripture in the New Testament, which shows us that God has done what he's gonna do, so now it's up to us to do what we need to do. Let me give you two really quick scriptures to kind of show us. I, I, I did the scripture on Sunday, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. Let us, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us, who? Who? Not God. Who? Let us what? Throw off everything that what? That hinders. And then what are we supposed to do? Get rid of the what? Sin, because it what? It easily entangles us, right? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us, who? Us. Who? Us. Who's in us in here this, this evening, right? Let us run with perseverance, the, 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 let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse two, let us, let who? Us. Who? Us. Who's in us? us? Let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, now in that scripture, who's the one doing something? We are. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to take dominion. We have to take control. We, through the authority and the power given us, we have to do it. Ephesians chapter four, verse 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Do what? Put off your what? So you never say, you need to put off your old self. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I've always been like that. Put it off. Yeah, this stuff always happens. You know, I mean, people say the craziest things. Well, you know, bad things always happen. Put it off. That's your old self, right? Put off the old self, or you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I love that terminology, deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your what? Minds. And to put on the what? The new self created to be like who? To be like who? God. God in true righteousness and what? Holiness. We just sang about how God is holy, but guess what? In 1 Peter it says, God is holy, so therefore you be holy. So see, it doesn't say God is holy and therefore you're just automatically gonna be holy. No, you have a part to play. You have something you have to do. You have to exercise. 
I mean, if study in your own time, study 2 Peter chapter 1. It talks about the things you've got to add to your faith, how you've got to make every effort to add these things to your faith. See, the problem that a lot of Christians hit is, man, they want to hear about salvation. And Pastor dealt with this about a month ago. You, they, they want to hear about the gifts of the Spirit. Man, they want to hear about an easy pass healing over here or just a, a sudden thing over here or a sudden thing over there. But the reality is, we read through the New, reread the New Testament and underline every time it tells you that you have to do something and you will be shocked how much it tells you that you've got a part to play. You would be shocked because most Christians would not tell you that. But it's in the Bible. It's not only is it in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament as well. So we are masters. We are what? Masters. We are what? Masters. Tell me every say, I'm not putting up with it anymore. Some of y'all don't sound convinced. Tell your neighbor and say, I'm not putting up with it anymore. Now, can you see how, can you see how, what a difference this truth would make for someone caught up in talking about weakness, his lack, and making daily confessions of inability? Can you see how it changes your mouth? It changes your confession. Can you see how it changes your thinking? Can you see, how about this? It changes your possibilities. John chapter one, verse 16 says this. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after what? One blessing after a what? From the fullness of his what? His grace. We have all received one blessing after another. So it is by God's grace and his work through Christ on the cross that has given us the ability. He has given us the ability. I cannot do this on my own. And, and that's the other thing, is a lot of people are trying to be new creations on your own. You cannot be a new creation without walking in what God's word says. You might improve a little bit, but then you're gonna go backwards. You might, you might have some strength for a while, but then you're gonna get tired. You can get what the world calls burnt out, right? But see, when you step on the word, when you stand on that word of God, when you confess that word of God, when you say that word of God, when you get that word of God to change your thinking, to change your thinking. I brought this up in the offering Sunday, that we, we should have an Abrahamic covenant of generosity. We are blessed to be a what? On how many occasions? Every occasion. Now, how many of y'all know, most, that's not how most of us grew up. Most of us grew up hearing about lack or hearing about how, you know, I don't have this or I don't have that. Or maybe you, maybe you, maybe you grew up in a situation where your parents were like, I'm, I'm not doing that for nobody. You know, they should do that for themselves or, or whatever it may be, right? See, it's a change of mentality. And you have to let that grow in your heart. You gotta let it grow and you gotta get it stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger so that you start being more generous and more generous and more generous and to where it stops bothering you. You know, the book of Proverbs talks about beware of somebody who buys you a meal, but in their heart they're saying it costs this and this much. And, you know, they're not really being generous. Come on, we've all been there. 
right? I'm gonna help somebody out, and by God, you know, it costs this much and it costs that much. That's not generosity. Generosity is being a blessing and then saying, praise the Lord for the ability to be generous, right? See, that's, that's a whole different what? Mentality. That's a whole different mentality. And see, we have the ability to enjoy the very limit all that we possess and are in Christ. Everything that we possess and are in Christ. Man, I love how the Holy Spirit works because this goes hand in hand with the miracle that we're in on Sundays with Peter getting out of the boat because he was focused on who when he got out of the boat? Jesus. Jesus. See, when you begin, and see, we should meditate on who he is. And I'm about to give you a list here. I'm about to read a list of who Jesus is. And when I get done reading this list, man, you're gonna be encouraged. You're gonna be encouraged. If you're born again, you're gonna be encouraged. Because when you begin to see who Jesus is, and you don't underestimate who he is, and you start saying, oh my gosh, Jesus is that. Jesus is that. Jesus is that. I remember T.L. Osborne hearing him say, tell the story, how when him and Daisy first went out in the mission field, the first place they went was India. And they went to India, and they got their Bible out, and they first talked to Hindus, and they, and they said, look, you know, this is what this book, the Bible says. It says this, this, and this, and this. And then the Hindus grabbed it and said, okay, great, thank you. And they, you know, if anybody knows about Hinduism, they don't have one sacred book. They got like thousands of sacred books. So they just added it to their collection. Okay, yeah, that's great. Oh, yes, yes. And then he goes, then we ran to some Muslims. And so we started talking to them. He said they were so respectful. And they were listening to what we said. And they were like, oh, yes, mm -hmm, yeah. And he goes, I thought we were getting somewhere. And then when we were done and we closed our Bible, they go, great. Now let me show you our sacred book. And they pulled out their Koran. And then they started reading about it. And they came back to America and they were completely discouraged because nothing happened. Nothing happened. So then they went to a church service and there was a, a, there was a woman preacher there and she was preaching about, and, she, and here was, here's the theme she said. She said, when you see Jesus, you will never be the same. When you see Jesus, you will never be the same. And then the next morning when he woke up, he said he had a vision of Jesus standing right there in his room. Couldn't move couldn't do anything, he just stared at him, just looked at him. And then that night, they went to another meeting, and he saw a man of God heal the sick. You know, he saw the man, he saw signs and wonders, and he saw who? He saw Jesus within that man. He saw Jesus working through that man. And he said it completely changed him and Daisy. They went off to Jamaica, and the reason why they went to Jamaica is because that's all the money, that's as far as they could go on the money they had left. And they begin to preach Jesus, and they begin to preach Jesus as living, the living word of God, the living son of God, and miracles begin to happen. See, when you begin to see who he is, it changes everything. When he's not just this academic creature that you hear about, you know, we're not studying Benjamin Franklin here. We're not studying George Washington. We're not studying just some other historical figure. We're studying Jesus, the living Son of God. The who? The who? The who? The living Son of God. 
Oral Roberts talks about in his book, The Miracle of Seed Faith, how he crossed this bridge. He, he was, you know, he was having people write all kinds of, all kinds of letters into him. And one day he sat there and he opened up letter after letter. And this person said, pray for me because I have this need. And this other person said, pray for me because I have this need. And he tallied it up. There were 87 different needs of just a couple of hours of reading letters. Just 87 different needs. And he said, then he had a revelation. He said, I had a revelation that Jesus meets every single one of those needs. Every single, because it, it would be impossible for somebody to be that good to everybody. But guess what? Jesus meets every single need. Everybody say it. Say, Jesus meets, Jesus meets. every single need. Every single Listen to this. The man at the right hand of God who loved me and died for me now ever lives for me. I don't know why religion has a problem with this. You know, love, you know, in order for you to have love, you have to have something else to love. Right? I mean, love is a relationship. He loves me. He loves me. He lives to intercede for me. He lives to intercede for me. There's a great little book, it's a, it's a real little book by Kenneth Hagin called The Present Day Ministry of Jesus Christ the present day ministry of Jesus Christ. And he talks about, you know, so many people think that the ministry of Jesus Christ is over. No, it's not. He's interceding for me right now. He's my advocate. He is my lawyer up there. He's my representative. Jesus was God's answer to the universal cry of humanity. Jesus was God manifest to our senses. Jesus was an intrusion of God into the sense realm. Jesus talked like God, Jesus acted like God. Jesus lived like God, and then on the cross, Jesus died like God. You know, Jesus gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit. They didn't take it from him. He did what? He gave it up. Jesus was not a philosopher searching for the truth. He was the truth. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. I said, Jesus is the truth. The way and the what? The life. Jesus was, not, Jesus was not a mystic. He was reality. He was here in the flesh. He was here, what? In the flesh. Jesus was not an experimenter searching for reality. He wasn't trying things out. Jesus was not a reformer. He was a recreator. I said he was a recreator. He's not just trying to make you a better you. He's trying to make you a completely new you. This is not self-help. This is self-recreation. Jesus, Jesus was not a visionary. He was the light of the world. Jesus never reflected. Jesus never reasoned. Jesus knew. He never learned. Jesus never asked for prayers for himself. How about that, huh? Jesus never sought the help of any man. Jesus was never in a hurry. Jesus was never afraid. Jesus never showed weakness. Jesus never hesitated. Jesus was always ready. Jesus was sure. There was a sureness in all he did or a surety in all he said or did. He never said, well, I'm pretty sure this is the way it is. 
Well, sometimes this is the way it is. No, what do you keep saying? I tell you the truth. I tell you what? I tell you what? The truth. Jesus had no sense of sin or need of forgiveness. Jesus never sought or needed advice. Jesus knew why he came. Jesus knew from whence he came. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew the Father. Jesus knew about heaven. Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew man. And Jesus knew Satan. Jesus had no sense of lack. Jesus had no sense of limitations. No sense of what? Limitations. Jesus had no sense of fear. Jesus had no anger, no sense of disappointment, no sense of being defeated or being forsaken. Jesus had no sense of need of human sympathy. He doesn't, he didn't need human sympathy. Guess what? You don't either. Tell your neighbor say, you don't need human sympathy. You need the word of God. Jesus had no sense of need of human sympathy. Jesus did not shrink from pain or brutal treatment. Jesus was master when they arrested him. Jesus was master at the trial. Jesus ruled the seen and the unseen while he was on the cross. Ruled the seen and the what? The unseen. See, that's what we're called to do, to rule the what? The seen and the unseen. Jesus was almighty, yet he was a man. Jesus died as God. Jesus had no sense of revenge. He was love. Jesus was a revelation of a new kind of love. There were no dramatics. He said, go tell Peter, the weakest one. Jesus died a lamb, and he arose as Lord of all. Jesus acted like God. Jesus spoke like God. Jesus' resurrection had all the simplicity of God. Jesus was God. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. Amen. I said, Jesus is coming back. Amen. I said, Jesus is coming back. I see, when you focus, when you meditate on who Jesus is, how can you listen to a list like that and walk away discouraged and think that your little need can't be met? How can you hear a list like that and walk away and think that God can't set you free from addiction or God can't set you free from anxiety or God can't set you free from a disease? How can you hear a list like that and walk away and think that God is not a God who answers prayers? Amen. See, that's the, that's, that's the power of it. Meditating on who he is. Because the more you meditate on who he is, the more you become who he says you are. Because I'm with Jesus. Amen. Anybody else in here with Jesus? Amen. Look, you can align yourself with whatever group you want to align yourself with. You can align yourself with whatever cause you want to align with. You can, you can, you can put whatever flag you want to put out. You can do whatever you want to do. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord and we will identify with Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus knew the value and authority of his own words. Turn over to John chapter six. John chapter six, verse 63. Jesus knew the power of his words. He says, the words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. Everybody say this. Say, the words that Jesus spoke, the words that Jesus spoke. 
They are spirits, and they are life. Now that word life there is the same word used in John chapter 10, verse 10, Zoe, the God kind of life. And if you look up the definition of Zoe, you find out it's not just talking about spiritual life, it's talking about physical life as well. We know from the word of God that he, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, what brings life to our mortal bodies. To our what? Our mortal bodies. Everybody say, my mortal body. So see, he knew that the words he was speaking are not just average words. They're not just positive words. The words he was speaking, they are spirit and life. Spirit and life. So look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. What did Jesus say in here? He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My words will what? Never what? Never pass away. Jesus knew that his words were living things. He knew this. He knew that his words would give life and death. He knew it. He knew it. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And I don't know I'm not sure what the hang up with people is on figuring this out. But people have kind of a hard time crossing this bridge for some reason. You know, you can, you can be in here and you can worship the Lord and you can say all the right things, but the real power is what are you saying on the car ride on the way home? The real power is what are you saying tomorrow morning when you wake up? The real power is what are you saying when you're faced with, like we talked about on Sunday, you're faced with the waves and the wind. What are, what's really coming out of your mouth? What are you really saying? What are you really saying? What are you really saying? And see, it takes, it takes the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and guide us. This James talks about how that the tongue is a, it's an instrument of fire from hell itself. How many of y'all know, how many, how many ever had your tongue get you in trouble? How many of y'all ever, as growing up, got your tongue got you grounded? <laughs> or your tongue got you a little whipping on the behind, right? I mean, the tongue can get you in trouble, right? The only way, the only way that we can overcome this is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of God confirms what the word of God says. So we get the word of God in our heart and that way, whenever a situation comes up, our first thought, our first thought is not the negative, but our first thought becomes, well, what does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? And really, listen, if you're married here, you can help each other out with this. You can say, if someone comes in and starts freaking out about a bill, or they start freaking out about a situation, you can turn to them and say, well, what does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? You can do this with your kids. When they come at you, when they come at you with a problem. See, you know, I mean, if a teenager comes to me and they have an issue or they have a problem, I'm not gonna look at them and go, I know, that's terrible, that's terrible. You know, it's 2023, it's hard out there. 
No, I'm gonna say, what does the word say about this? What does the word say about this? What does this, what is, why? That's the number one weapon I have, is the word of God. The word of God, the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, the living word of God. It is living and active. Everybody say, it is living and active. The Holy Spirit spoke about this through Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Look what it says. For the word of God is living and what? What is it? What is it? The word of God changes things. The word of God changes things. The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges. This is why some people don't like the Word of God. The Word of God judges. How many of you ever had the Word of God put you in your place really quick? Amen. The Word of God not only judges your actions, but it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Man, the Word of God doesn't play around. The Word of God doesn't play around. Doesn't play around. I mean, I mean, we're gonna see this on Sunday that when Peter started to go in the water and then Jesus grabbed him, what was the first thing Jesus said to him? Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Why, why do you have little faith? Why did you doubt? I mean, how do you know? I mean, that's pretty, I mean, there you are. You're sinking. Jesus pulls you up, puts you in the boat, and then the first thing out of his mouth was not, man, you went, you took some steps. <laughs> no, that, what was the first thing out of your mouth? Why'd you doubt? Why? See, Jesus doesn't understand why people doubt him when he says he's gonna do what he says. I mean, you've heard the illustration many times from Pastor Lee and Dr. Austin of, look, when you tell your kids you're gonna do something and they start doubting you, I mean, it irritates you, doesn't it? I said, we're gonna do it, right? I said, we're gonna do it. So see, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? See, this is our job. If you're gonna walk in the victory that God has for you in the benefits of the new creation and be free in him, you're gonna have to get rid of all doubt. Now, I know religion carries doubt around like it's a badge of honor, but it's not. Tell your neighbor, say, doubt is not a badge of honor. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm telling you, doubt is not a badge of honor. And I know people get offended by that. They get offended because they're like, well, you know, we all doubt. Speak for yourself. I'm trying to get rid of it. I don't want to talk about it. Amen. I'm trying to feed my faith, feed my faith, feed my faith, feed my faith. Because why? Because I've been born again. 
with an incorruptible seed. I've been born again with an everlasting seed. So guess what? Tomorrow morning, the Word of God is just going to be just as true as it is right now. And then Friday morning, the Word of God is going to be just as true as it is right now. And then Saturday morning, what's the Word of God going to be? Just as true as it is right now. And in 2024, guess what? The Word of God's going to be what? Just as true as what? As it is right now. It is living and it is enduring. That's why we've got to learn how to focus on him because he is the living word. Amen. He is the living word. So you gotta put all that other stuff, put it to the side, put it to the side, put it to the side. And when you have faith instead of doubt, you start taking the right actions instead of the wrong actions. When you start believing you have more than enough, even when it doesn't look like you do, you start saving money. Because people who have more enough do what? Save money. They don't spend it all. They do what? Save money. See, when you begin to believe that you have more enough, you'll start saving more. When you, begin, when you begin to believe you've got more enough, you'll start giving more. When you begin to believe you have more than enough, then you will start acting different. So that's the power. Tell your neighbor, say, that's the power. That's the power. Don't underestimate Jesus. Don't underestimate him. We said Sunday, he's still there. He's still there. And you, and he's, what, what is he calling? He's telling you to come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, but Aaron, you don't know my situation. I don't have to know your situation. I'm not God, but I know what God says to you. Come on, come on. Yeah, but I've got this need. Jesus meets every single need. Every single need. And he's alive. And he cares about you. He cares about you so deeply. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. You think you love him. You have no idea how much he loves you. Amen. Ephesians chapter three talks about that we may know the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of his love for us. Because once you start to comprehend how much he loves you, you will start to listen to everything he says. And when you start realizing how much he loves you, and that he's telling you for a reason what he's telling you, then it's easy to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Amen.